Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. It is great to be with you. And, you know, as we continue to celebrate the Christmas season, it's not lost on any of us, I'm sure, that there is a sense of rhythm and repetition to this, isn't it? Every year we come back, we do the same thing for four, three, four, five weeks, and we, and we think about together the fact that God came to earth in the form of his son, Jesus, as a baby boy. And we do that because the incredible reality of that is so important for us to grasp. It changes the way that we look at history. It changes the way that we look at the priorities of our life. It even the changes, changes the way that we look at ourselves. And so it's worth coming back again and again, year after year, to try to understand even more clearly than we have understood before the fact that God becomes one of us in his son Jesus. And like so many important, of the most important things in life, or so many of the most important events of this life, there are layers of implications of Jesus coming to earth. And God in his wisdom has seen fit to communicate these implications to us and the layers of these implications in a variety of different ways. And this Christmas, we are looking at just three of them, and we're calling them portraits in our series, Portraits of Christmas. Last week, Pastor Chris preached on the portrait of promise. This week, we look at the events of Christmas as a portrait of light coming into the darkness. Because the times are dark. You may not feel how dark they really are. I mean, after all, we live in the wake of a society that had Judeo-Christian values and morals as common practices until very recently. Beyond that, most of us here live a fairly privileged middle-class lifestyle that by its very nature shields us from some of the dark things in our society today. But as we'll talk about, and as you'll see, history is filled with darkness. And that history has very common practice or commonalities with our human experience today. But the good news is that Jesus comes as light in the midst of that darkness. And so today I want to do something a little bit different than you, with you than what we normally do. Normally we open one passage of scripture and spend almost all of our time in that one passage with a couple maybe supporting verses or passages. But today I want to actually take you to five different passages in scripture as we trace the thread of this theme of light and darkness through part of the Bible. And you might not realize how prevalent it actually is. We are just going to touch the surface of it today, there's a number of passages that I had to leave in the cutting room floor and looking at light and darkness. And as we turn to the first one in Isaiah chapter 9, I want us to understand something very carefully, and that is to fully grasp the truth that Jesus comes as light into the world, we have to in some way feel the weight of the darkness. And so today we'll try to put some words to those facts and realities as well. 
The first of four major ideas that the Bible points to with regard to light and darkness is found in Isaiah chapter 9, and that is that a light was foretold from long ago. The times were dark, and they were about to get a lot darker. 700 years before Jesus came, the people of Israel were in a very bad place. They were God's people that he had chosen to reveal himself to and reveal himself through. And yet now this people had been divided into a northern kingdom of Israel and into a southern kingdom of Judah. And these two kingdoms, both of them, had alternating wicked kings that led them into wicked practices. But God was not going to allow his name to be mocked forever. And nor would he allow these people, Israel, just to go on their own way. They were his people. And he had made a promise to them. He was never going to leave them. Nor forsake them. And so he raises up a prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah was to tell them of what was to come. And to pronounce judgment in the present time. And to point them for hope in the future. Because the times were very dark. These people were involved in idol worship. Their unfaithfulness to gain spiritual guidance and wisdom came in the form of them seeking counsel from the dead. And these were just glimpses of the darkness. In Isaiah chapter 8, the prophet warns Israel that the nation of Assyria would come and would rise up and conquer this kingdom of Judah. Darkness would reign all the more. And when a nation in the ancient world would rise up and conquer another nation, this was a horrible, horrible, horrible reality. There were no rules of war in the ancient world. There was no Geneva Convention. The conquerors would come and they would kill all the warriors. They would set the cities on fire. They would loot everything that they could for themselves, material possessions, livestock, food, even your clothing they would take and it would become their clothing. They would rape the women and the girls. And anyone left alive would be enslaved. Our modern minds have a hard time appreciating how terrible the situation would be. But Isaiah chapter 8 gives us a taste So if you're there in your Bible, Isaiah chapter 8, starting at verse 18, it'll be on the screen as well uh, in just a minute with chapter 9 anyway. And it says this, Isaiah the prophet rises up and says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel for the Lord of hosts who dwell on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To to the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and they will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And turn their faces upward, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust 
into thick darkness. The picture is grim. But then comes the promise of light. And the prophet continues in chapter 9. As he says, but, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they were glad when they divide the spoil. So when the nation of Israel is at its darkest moment, God injects a promise of hope, the promise of light. And light will overcome the depths of this darkness. And this promise we will see is Jesus, who it says will bring great joy. Now for a people who knew this darkness, for the people who walked in this darkness, for the people who experienced the ongoing reality of this darkness, the promise of light is a promise of hope. It's a promise of a future that would lead them from the very worst place to the best. Jesus is the picture of light in the darkness. Because it's really dark out there. But fear not. Jesus, the light, has come. Not only was this light foretold long ago, but when we fast forward to the New Testament, we see the second reality of this thread, and that is that the light has now come. And we see that in John chapter 1. Because the times were dark. In fact, humanity has shown its dark side again and again and again. And there's nothing new under the sun. The sinful problems that cities and societies and kingdoms and empires have just seem to be on display and repeating themselves again and again and again. Darkness is part of our common human experience throughout all times in human history. And so if that's true, we can look to our times right now. In ancient history, the times were dark. In New Testament times, the times were dark. And even today, we can say the times are dark. We know this to be true, even if we're not experiencing the full weight of it. Just recently, if you've been watching the news, you've seen the shield crack of some of the elite as you watch again and again as another announcement of a high-profile politician or somebody in the entertainment industry or someone in big business is accused of sexual abuse. The sinful problems of a dark society begin to show as the underbelly is exposed and all of these public figures have engaged or serially leveraged their positions of power to sexually abuse women. The times are dark. But friends, that's just the tip of the iceberg. These times are dark. Currently, in our world today, there are four 
wars that are happening in the world in which at least 10,000 people have died in the last 12 months. There are another 13 wars that are currently happening in which 1,000 to 10,000 casualties have been known. Now only a handful of us in the room have tasted the reality of war. And most of us have just caught glimpses of it from a distance. But it doesn't take long to have a conversation with a veteran of Iraq or Afghanistan or Vietnam or Korea or any of the smaller armed conflicts that we've been involved in over the last number of years. It doesn't take long to know that as heroic as the battlefield can be, it's only heroic because it is so dark out there. Did you know that right now, in our world, slavery still exists in massive numbers? Did you know that? You probably can't even imagine what it'd be like to be a slave. I know I can't. To wake up day after day and have everything charted before me according to the rule of my master, and if I don't do it, my own life would be threatened. That's a darkness that most of us can't even imagine. And yet, for all of the education and all of the wealth and all of the knowledge of the global community, according to a recent report by the International Labor Organization, there are still 40 million slaves in the world today. 40 million. Many pressed into forced labor, others pressed into forced marriages, some pressed into the sex trade. To live that every single day. 40 million people. That is the combined population of Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Indiana. And there are still that many slaves. It's dark out there. There's a different type of darkness that hits closer to home for some of us. We all know that uh, opioid addiction is a rising crisis in our country. One news source cites that in the last five years or so, the number, of, the number of diagnosed addictions has raised over 500%. And we know that that's just the diagnosed ones. <laughs> and so the problem is even much more significant than that. And regardless of how you feel or what your personal experience has been with those who have been addicted to drugs, we know that there are hundreds of thousands of people who are addicted but don't want to be. <laughs> And darkness is what they feel every day. You see, the human experience is common throughout all ages. It has different symptoms. It has different manifestations. The ancient world, the New Testament world, even today, and we just scratched the surface. We didn't talk about the broken down of marriages or families or internet pornography or any of the number of other points of darkness that we could talk about. But we know, friends, that it is dark out there. <laughs> but God gives humanity hope. And it comes in the person of Jesus. John chapter 1 tells us of his coming that the light has come. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's make two simple but important observations. Number one, verse five, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not dim the light. In fact, it's just the other way around. When the light comes, the darkness is the one that flees. Now that's important to realize because as we've demonstrated, the darkness of the world is so powerful, it's all around us, it is pervasive even to our human experience. But Jesus, this light, pierces through the darkness. Now, I think I've read somewhere that there's a new movie that came out this weekend. Is that right? Was it Star Trek? The Rise of the Jedi or something? No, I know it's Star Wars. I just like messing with you people who get really worked up about that sort of thing. Star Wars, the new Star Wars movie came out this weekend. And one of the reasons why the Star Wars franchise has been so successful now for multiple decades is that it captures a fundamental tension of our human experience. Light versus darkness. And what do they always say? Almost every Star Wars movie, when the bad guy meets the good guy and they're about to clash lightsabers and the good guy makes his obligatory plea, please don't follow the dark side, please come with us and be part of the light side, the dark guy always says the same thing. You do not know the power of the dark side. But you know what? As powerful as the dark side is, I can tell you what happens. I can give you a spoiler alert right now for the movie. You guys are okay with that, right? Okay, here's, here's the spoiler alert. The dark side will not prevail. I haven't even seen the movie, but I don't need to because I know whether it's this movie or the next one or the next one, I know how it's all going to end. I promise you that the Star Wars saga will not finish with the dark side winning. We know this, and yet it's the tension in the middle that draws us in. Because light always overcomes darkness. And so what does that mean for us right now? It means that no matter, friends, how bad things look in our culture, no matter how bad things get, no matter how bad the economy gets, no matter how significantly our society continues to slide into this morass of degradation morality, no matter how untrustworthy the politicians become, no matter how dark the days are, you can look to Jesus, who is the light, and know without a shadow of a doubt that this light will never fade. It's really dark out there. But fear not. Jesus, the light, has come. The second observation about this John chapter 1 passage is that we see that the one who was light had life. Verse 4. It says, the life was the light of of men, the light of men. That's to say that Jesus, who is the light, can give you himself and you enjoy the light. 
And that leads us really to our third point of this thread. And that is, the light can lighten you. Jesus is foretold from the light of the past. He is the light of history. He's the light of the world more generally. But this light is also for you very personally. John 8, 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's not just dark out there. It's also pretty dark in here. And this light has personally come for you. Now, Amy and I try really hard to not let the consumeristic trappings of of the Christmas season sort of overtake the excitement and imagination of our kids. And we all know what that's like. We all know that it's a battle for us personally. It's a big battle for our little kids as, of course, the most, the things that they're going to get excited about are what they're going to get out of the whole deal. And yet, so we try, we try carefully every year to to engage in thoughtful and meaningful ways to help them be excited about the most important things at Christmas. And I can report to you that I think we failed miserably. (laughs) And this was illustrated to us just yesterday uh, when the kids received cards, Christmas cards in the mail from my mother. And they each had an envelope and she went to great lengths to make them all red so they were all even but they were different cards and she wrote sweet things to them in the cards and and as we lined the three kids up and we passed out the cards and and they began to get really excited and and started trying to tear open this envelope to varying abilities our five-year-old Alexa got hers open first and she ripped the envelope apart and the first thing that she did was when she pulled the card out she did she pulled one of these jobs because she was waiting for the money to fall out. And when the money didn't fall out, she grabbed the envelope and she turned it upside down and she started shaking it. And then she looked at me with the most confused look on her face. And just around that time, our four-year-old Noelle got, had managed to get hers open and, and she was looking at her sister and thought, yes. And so she got her thing open and she was kind of moving her card around and looking in her envelope and didn't see anything. And, and now we're back to Alexa who says, Dad, where's the money? And then our two-year-old chimes in, Dad, I didn't get any money. <laughs> and I thought to myself, these little sinners, it is so dark in there. I mean, we had a meaningful conversation that every card you get has money in it. And yes, grandma is going to give you a Christmas present, but you're going to actually get it on Christmas and you shouldn't expect money. Actually, let's read the words of the card since they're actually really meaningful and important. And of course, they kind of lit up, but I just thought to myself, man, it's dark in there. It's not just dark out there, it's also pretty dark in here. 
You know what I mean. The insecurity, the depression, the self-serving behavior, the words that come out of my mouth, the sinful desires I have, the ever-present desire to have more and do more things that have no lasting consequence beyond myself. Maybe for others of us it's pride or self-sufficiency or perhaps it's a blanket cynicism toward other people. For all of us, the temptation of sin is ever before us. And however you look at it, it can be pretty dark inside of here. And you know what? Sometimes we like it that way. The philosopher Plato once said, we can easily forgive a child who's afraid of the dark, but the real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. Some of us might not want to recognize the light. We might choose to live in the darkness. But when John chapter 1 says that the life is the light of men, and John 8.12 says the one who follows Jesus will have the light of life, you can see where this is going. With him, you have light, and you are enlightened. Without him, you live in darkness and remain in darkness. When God sent his son to the world, he turned on the lights of human history. He turned on the lights of our contemporary situation. And he turned on the lights of the state of our very own soul. And so what does that mean for you right now? Does it mean that I simply try to follow him harder, to follow him better, to follow him more? Well, not entirely. In fact, what it does mean is that when I look to him, I trust him and I rely on him. When the darkness inside of me is taking over, I look to the one who is the light. When you're tempted to do the things that you find yourself always reverting back to do, you rely on Jesus, the light, to help you overcome the darkness. When you've failed and you've sinned and you're depressed and you can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you look to the light who loves you and forgives you and restores you. And you trust that his work on the cross is sufficient for all of your sins. The sins of your past, the sins of your present, and the sins of your future. And you rely on him all the more to restore you to God. And when you're afraid, because the darkness that is surrounding us in this world sort of meets and collides with the darkness that is rising up with inside of you. And you know that it feels like there's no way out. There is a place that you can turn. It's to Jesus, who is the light. And he is the light that will never go out because light pierces the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. And you trust him. And because he is eternal in nature and eternal light, therefore if you have your faith in him, then you know that you too are eternally secure. 
that the darkness will never overcome you. Because, friends, it's really dark out there. But fear not. Jesus, the light, has come. And that leads us to the fourth piece of this thread of life and dark, light and darkness. And that is that the light can lighten others through you. The light of Jesus can lighten other people through you. That is to say that God's work in you actually affects other people. Because, you know, Christians are a really different breed of people than those around them. This last week, we saw in a number of ways how Christians have the light, and that makes them very different. This week, we had two of our church members who lost elderly parents. And Christians deal with and grieve death very differently than other people. It's because they have the light. The other day I had a contractor come over to my house to look at some things that I'm trying to do in my basement and help me out. And I didn't know this guy. He was referred to me from somebody. And he came into my house. We went down to the basement. We were talking. And I just thought to myself, this guy's different. I'm five minutes into the conversation. And I said, I wonder if he's a Christian. And sure enough, within the next five minutes, we were talking about the Lord and what God had done in his life and how he'd saved him and was continuing to work and to change him because there's just something different. He had the light. You know, this, the Christmas season is sort of notorious in our society for being the season where people spend way too much money on themselves and their family and then they spend the next number of months paying down the credit card debt that they had racked up over Christmas, all sort of in the hopes of creating this magical experience for their children or for their family or for their friends. And in the midst of that, I mean, we live in a, in a generous society overall. The United States of America is a generous society historically. But Christians are even uniquely generous because they have the light. And so this last couple of weeks, I'm fielding phone calls and text messages and emails, and Pastor Rick is fielding even more than that to say, we want to help people who have needs this Christmas, but we don't know who they are. Will you help us identify who they are so we can essentially give our money away during the time of year when we should be spending more than we have. Who does that? People who have the light. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine before others. What does that mean? Well, the text gives us one example of what it means. It can mean a number of things. Certainly one example is that your good works, your good deeds that you do because you know the Lord and you're responding to him, this is something that is indicative of the light that's in you and points to God and glorifies God. We know beyond that that Christians uh, are called to be a light in dark places. And part of that is that they are ambassadors of ones who have received Jesus and therefore they speak for him to other people. They help other people who are in the darkness to see the light of the gospel. And we've talked about that a lot this fall and I hope that you're still engaging actively 
in that pursuit. And we see beyond this that this light is eternal in its nature and that the glory of God is eternal in its nature. And we regularly continue to point to this glory as we go about our daily tasks. The light in you, actually, God uses to lighten other people because it's pretty dark out there. But fear not, because <laughs> the light has come. I want to close with just a brief analogy and a, one more application point for you. There's a woman who was doing her last minute Christmas shopping at a crowded shopping mall, and she was tired. <laughs> she was tired of fighting the crowds. She was tired of standing in lines. She was tired of fighting her way down the long and overpacked aisles, looking for that gift that had been sold out days before. Her arms were full of bulky packages, and when the elevator door opened, the elevator was full. And so the people in the elevator did their good deed for the day. They all sucked it in a little bit, squeezed in a little tighter, and allowed this woman and all of her packages to enter. And as the doors closed, she let out an exasperated breath and said, whoever is responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be arrested, strung up, and shot. And a few others nodded their heads in grunted agreement. And then somewhere from the back of the elevator came this single small voice that said, don't worry. They already crucified him. Because the light comes in the world, but not just for his own sake. And not just to generally shine in dark places. But Jesus, this light came into the world with a very specific purpose in mind. That the light that you have access to comes at a great cost of his very death and resurrection. And that was the plan all along, that you should know him, and that he should pay for the sins of you and of us, and that as a result, the darkness would be taken and the light itself would shine brightly within you, because it's really dark out there. But fear not, this light has come. Some of you might be here today, and you might be in a great place. You are basking in the light. And you say, Pastor Nick, oh man, this is just a drag. Why are you talking about all this dark stuff Sunday before Christmas? Well, for you, it's my hope that the wonderful portrait of Jesus coming as light in the darkness will be a preparation for you when the dark day comes for you. <laughs> because it will it's common to our human experience. And in those moments of darkness, of suffering, of stress, of difficulty, we all tend to, in our flesh, do the same thing towards self-preservation. But if there's a light who shines in that darkness, be prepared to turn to that light when the day comes. And for some of you, you're here today, and you're in the midst of the darkness right now. Maybe it's your family, maybe it's the grief of the season, maybe it's addiction or depression or any number of things that would constitute this true and spiritual darkness. And here's the word. 
Fear not, the light has come. Turn to him, embrace him, surrender to him, follow him, and trust that he will indeed provide what he only can provide. Let's pray together and ask for God's help and thank him for this wonderful picture of Jesus. Lord, we know that in the depths of our own soul that darkness can tend to rise up and even reign. And before we saw this picture of the light, that we were destined for darkness forever. Praise be to you, Father in heaven, who gives us such a wonderful salvation of light. Praise be to your Son who is the light, who redeems us and sacrifices for us and loves us. And we pray that this Christmas season, that our light within us, the light of life, that points to the glory of God as we see it on the face of Jesus, would rule the day. We pray for the sake of your glory. Amen.